Yellow, and welcome to the Spice Den Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob, and we're going to talk about everything there is to know in the Star Wars universe. So this week, we're going to talk about the last two episodes of The Mandalorian. I'm sorry I missed last week. I know I mentioned in the previous episode that it was likely that I was going to try and put one out late uh, with the Thanksgiving holiday, but that just didn't happen. So we're just going to do a two-in-one this week and hit chapter four and chapter five of the mandalorian in addition just to kind of keep you up to date on what i'm consuming star wars wise i've put a few more hours into fallen order and i'm still loving it and by the time this goes up i will probably have completed clone wars season four so i'm just trying to get all caught up with that before the next season comes out and i've been going at a pretty good pace as of late also at the time of release we are going to be about a week and a half out from the rise of skywalker and just to give you a little bit of a heads up on my plan for that i will be putting out a special uh rise of skywalker only episode that's going to release the saturday of the release weekend that way if you haven't been able to see the movie yet you can save it for later and not have to worry about spoilers then we'll be putting out the regular episode on monday to talk about the chapter of the mandalorian that weekend with all that out of the way let's just hop into our mandalorian discussion reminder this is full spoilers if you do not want to be spoiled tune out now Go watch the episodes, come back, and let's we can chat some more. So we're starting with Chapter 4, which is not the episode that aired this week, but the previous one. So we open up on a shot underwater with these blue shrimps kind of just swimming around. The shot is just really strikingly beautiful. It's a great way to open this episode. We're in this peaceful, small farming village. It's very rural, very primitive. There's very little technology there, but it's not completely backwater. There are some droids there to help with their harvesting of the shrimp. However, it's pretty primitive in comparison to the rest of the Star Wars universe. All sp- seeming to go pretty well for them, and when a bunch of Clatoonian raiders come in and pillage the town, they're stealing their baskets of shrimp and shooting up all of the villagers. There's a mother and daughter that are being focused on, and they run in and jump in one of the little shrimp ponds and hide under a basket. We cut away to our Mandalorian flying into the world. We're looking for a place to kind of lay low after all the mess with the pr- bounty hunters and the guild. Baby Yoda's being super cute, messing with some switches on the dash and they decide to land on the planet of Sorgan obviously the planet we've just seen with the raid it's somewhere that they can lay low it's super backwater no spaceports or anything like that so they land and he tells baby Yoda to stay put and he's gonna go head out and find him a place to stay and he's like ah no whatever come on let's go and they both walk to a cantina to buy some soup it kind of, we kind of just see how backwater and basic this place is he's asking the barkeep for some information you know she doesn't really understand what he's getting on about he gives her money as a sort of a bribe and she's like oh well thank you thinking it's just like a tip but he goes in and buys some soup for baby yoda and asks about this mysterious woman sitting by herself in the corner kind of staring him down she doesn't really seem to know what the woman is doing there but as the bartender leaves we notice that the mysterious woman has vanished and then mando goes out to track her down he uses a thermal tracker to look for her footprints with his helmet and she comes up and jumps him from behind they're fighting and she's giving him quite a run for his money and landing some solid body blows despite him wearing all beskar and mandalorian continues to suck using his flamethrower i basically noticed that's more or less his panic button pretty much anytime he gets overwhelmed in a fight he's like slaps the flamethrower on and pretty much does nothing with that one exception of when he took down some stormtroopers with it and they get off in a bit of a standoff holding blasters to their head and that's when baby yoda comes up sipping his little soup his little bone broth and 
You know, I have to say, I am loving these Baby Yoda memes. They're incredible. The only problem is, I'm not always able to watch right when it drops on Friday. And, you know, nothing really story-wise has been spoiled, but I've definitely seen some templates go up, like, the morning of the episode launching before I've had a chance to watch it. So I'm gonna have to try and either watch it early or just stay off the internet until, uh, until I get around to it. But we head back into the cantina, and we're introduced to the character named Cara Dune. Uh, that's, you know, who we've been fighting with. She's a former rebel and worked as, like, a shock trooper, an orbital drop kind of character. Just to tie it into some other media, I'm kind of wondering if she has worked with John Burrell. He's a character from the Aftermath trilogy of books. He held the same position in the Republic military around the same time, so they might know each other, and who knows, he might get name-dropped in a later episode. But she tells him to move on, that this is her backwater planet, and he needs to go find his own. So Mandalorian heads back to his ship and prepares to get out of there when a few locals from our village from earlier approach him. They're trying to hire him to fend off the raiders, but they don't have enough money for him. He's about to head out and leave the planet when he realizes that this is a place he can lay low and hide for a bit. So he takes their credits and he goes to hire Cara Dune to help him defend the village. Once they arrive, everyone loves baby Yoda. He's super cute. Who doesn't love him? And then the mother from earlier goes to help set up a place for Mando to stay, and he meets the daughter, Winta. A little bit later, the mother comes and brings back the Mandalorian some food, and we find out her name is Omera. Winta goes and feeds baby Yoda and takes him outside to play for a little bit, and Omera starts talking to the Mandalorian and asking him about who he is. She asks about his helmet and if he's taken it off anytime recently, and he's like, yeah, yeah, took it off yesterday. And he's like, well, when's the last time you took it off in front of someone else? And he said he hadn't done it since he was a small child. So this has kind of given us a little bit more of an insight on the Mandalorian culture that basically you're just not allowed to take it off in front of anyone else. And that's, this is the way, as they say. So she leaves him and he takes off his helmet to eat. The strange thing though is he takes it off. It's an over-the-shoulder shot so we don't see his face. But he takes off his helmet and is eating his food to, and watches out the window as the kids are playing. And it just kind of seems like anyone could just turn around and stare at him and see his face. So I don't really get the logistics of that shot, but it's cool. You see Baby Yoda playing out with all the kids. Uh, but we cut away and Cara Dune and Mandalorian go into tra do some tracking in the woods, find out a little bit more about the raiders. And then they notice that there's an ATST Imperial Walker, that's they've been using. So they all come back and they tell the villagers, hey, you know, this is more than we signed on for. We can't do anything about this. You just need to leave. And the villagers are not having it. And this is the introduction to our plot. It is a Seven Samurai slash Magnificent Seven episode. If you don't know what that is, those are two old iconic movies. Seven Samurai, I believe, uh, a Kurosawa film, and The Magnificent Seven was a Western adaptation of it. You know, this is a Western show. And when I say Western, I mean like Old West Cowboys. The basic premise of the storyline, and this has been adapted many, many times, you have a small village of humble people, and they get raided by, you know, raiders, which we've seen so far, and they can't defend themselves, so they go and hire or there are some mercenaries that come in, help them to head into the town and teach them how to fight themselves and then ride off into the sunset. It's the basic premise that's been used several, many, many times in the past and you don't even have to look outside Star Wars to see it. The episode Bounty Hunters from Clone Wars 2 episode 17 is the same exact plot. Anakin, Ahsoka, and Obi-Wan fight with some bounty hunters to fend off a village from Hondo and his pirates. So it's been done before in Star Wars, but it's a classic, not surprising to see it here. 
at this point we had there's a another detail we have a close-up shot in caradun's face and i know she has like a like a prison style teardrop tattoo but it's the rebellion firebird logo so that's kind of cool so they go out and digs a trap they basically dig a hole for the walker to walk into in one of the ponds hoping that it will fall and be disabled since they can't do anything about it otherwise and they build some barricades around the town mandalorian's kind of helping run a shooting range while Cara Dune's teaching everyone to fight with spears, and we find out our, the mother Omera is a really good shot. And at this point, night falls, and Dune and Mando go to stalk out the raider camp. We find Spachka, which it's been up, mentioned earlier in the episode, I haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, basically, the farmers are farming this krill, the blue shrimp, and they brew it into some sort of alcoholic beverage called Spachka. And the raiders took all of their krill to make their own Spachka in their camp. So we go around and start planting charges and fight all the raiders, and they blow up this main tent with all the Spotchka brewers. So the ATST at this point is coming in to dispatch them, and it's a really cool visual of it. It's you know it's nighttime in a forest. All you see are these glowing red eyes out of the cockpit of the ATST, and they lead it back to the village. As the ATST is approaching, it stops just shy of the pond and starts blasting and just annihilating all the huts of the village and the raiders start charging in and every we're all pinned down and there's not a whole lot of hope for them because if they don't take out the atst they're done for so cara dune takes mandalorian's rifle and charges up into the pond where they dug the hole trying to egg on the walker to go after her by shooting it she eventually lands a shot inside the cockpit and we see a bunch a little spark and smoke come out and the walker takes its step into the pond and falls mandalorian jumps the barricades drops a thermal detonator down in the cockpit and the whole thing blows up and the raiders retreat and everyone's happy the villagers have exceeded and we've seen a very condensed about a 15 minute long seven samurai story so it's the next day we're all talking everyone's happy baby yoda's playing again it's a great time this thing is so cute and cara dune asks a little bit about the mandalorian and his helmet and she asks why he doesn't take it off or what happens if he takes it off and he says if he takes it off in front of other people he can never put it back on and again this is the way a little bit more insight on the mandalorian culture yet again Cara Dune just says, hey, you know, this is nice here. You don't have to go anywhere. You can just settle down with Omira and have a good life. Because, you know, there's obviously a little bit of romantic tension there. But, you know, he says this this isn't for him. This isn't his life. But he could leave Baby Yoda here. Baby Yoda would be happy and safe on this small backwater planet. He goes over to Omira to tell him his plan. And she's asking him to stay. But it's not for him. She tries to take his helmet off. But he won't let her because... This is, you know, again, this is the way. This is not the life for him, even if he wants it. And it, we're cutting away to see a sniper off in the distance targeting Baby Yoda. It's a Kubaz again, the Imperial spy from Episode 4, same race. Same race as the dude with the flute that called the speeder in the first episode. And you hear a shot go off. This is the second time we're led to believe Baby Yoda is shot, but it's actually Cara Dune shooting him from behind. So with two fake outs, you know... Baby Yoda's days are numbered if this keeps happening, but Mandalorian realizes that he's not safe there because that sniper had a bounty tracker, so everyone parts ways and they all fly off. And that is the end of Chapter 4. There wasn't a whole lot of world building here. We, you know, we did get a little more information on the Mandalorian and his people through his dialogue with Cara Dune and Omira, but not a whole lot goes on. It's a pretty self-contained episode. But that brings us to Chapter 5 again. 
spoiler warning and if you have not watched it this is the episode that debuted this this week please pause the episode go watch the chapter five and come back and talk with me so we open up on a dog fight in space mandalorians being sh- shot from behind it's kind of hard to tell what the ship is we never get a clear shot at it it almost kind of looks like a u-wing or an x-wing in a way with the wings back it's definitely not an x-wing it looks a little bit too big and the wings aren't deployed in the dog fighting position but we're being chased down by another bounty hunter and he's trying to shoot down the razor crests <laughs> and the bounty hunter's like i can bring you in warm i can bring you in cold just like mandalorian says in the first episode where he's coming to, going after the mythal so mandalorian is kind of in some deep shit he's been shot a few times his, one of his thrusters is pretty heavily damaged but he slams on the reverse thrust and says that's my line and blast the bounty hunter out of the sky but he's losing fuel needs to touch down somewhere for repairs and what do you know the closest planet to us is tatooine because it's star wars and we can't have a star wars series without visiting tatooine at least once so we land at Mos Eisley and gets permission to land at Dockin Bay 35. And here, so I looked it up, and this is it's just one of the coolest things about Disney Plus having everything at my fingertips. Because I want to know what Docking Bay the Falcon was in in Episode Four. Because I know they directly mentioned the Docking Bay number. So I was like, you know, I was like trying to Google. It. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. I just open up another tab of Disney Plus. Open up Episode Four. Fast forward to the exact moment, and they were in Docking Bay 94, not 35. So it's completely different. But it's just so cool to have it right at my fingertips and be able to reference for this kind of stuff. Especially, you know, for me making this show, I can go back and reference anything I want. Just a a touch of a finger, right? All here on Disney+. Plus. I will definitely, not sponsored, but I would take it. I would have Disney call me. But anyways, yeah, he goes and lands at Docking Bay 35. And as he's landing, a few pit droids come out to come meet him. And of course, again, the Mandalorian does not like droids, so he blasts at their feet and they all pop back in their shells. And a little, our dock hand comes out and is not happy with him, saying, you know, hey, dude, don't shoot at my droids. And he, he just tells her to keep them away from his ship. And the dock hand's looking over his ship and is like, dude, this, this is a mess. You have a fuel leakage here. I need to fix this. I need to fix that. It's going to cost you a lot of money. And he, uh... He has 500 Imperial credits, like, well, uh, guy, that's gonna cover your docking fees, but that's about it. Uh, he's like, okay, I'll, you know what, I'll go get you some, I'll go get your money. And he tells her to keep the droids away as she repairs the ship. And he starts heading into the cantina, walking through Mos Eisley, which, this chapter comes off as such a love letter to A New Hope, and the world they've established on Tantooine. You can, you know, you can get tired of them, us always going back there, but they definitely put a lot of care and effort into this. It really feels like we're back in Tunisia filming in 1977, but we walk, and he walks by a bunch of stormtrooper helmets that have been beat up and placed on pikes, and this is a shot we saw in the promos before the series came out. We cut back to the dock, and the woman's playing cards with her droids when they hear noise from the Razor Crest and kind of get freaked out but you know what do you know it's baby yoda coming down the ramp looking adorable as always uh but she's like you know what hey let's droids go get me food some food we're gonna take care of this baby and i'm gonna charge that mandalorian some extra money which so this brings me to like a small complaint but it's something i've noticed is it really is visible in this episode it feels like when they're carrying baby yoda which happens quite a bit that he's basically weightless they're holding him like he weighs like half a pound, which, you know, he's very small. He's not going to weigh much, but it doesn't seem like, if it makes sense, it doesn't seem like there's any weight to him. It's a small detail, but uh, kind of kind of stuck out to me. 
But when we cut back to the Mandalorian and he's walking into the cantina, the same one that where we meet Han in A New Hope, it cuts around, again, similar to New Hope, it cuts around to show a lot of the bar patrons. We even see a few droids, which is interesting. And the bartender's a droid because, uh, you know, back in episode four, he's like, you know, they walk in and the bar keeps like, we don't like your kind here and kicks out C-3PO and R2-D2. But Mandalorian asks the bartender if there's any work and he's like, hey, the, the guild's not here anymore, so no dice. And he's like, well, I don't want guild work. He's like, that doesn't help your case. Uh, and then we sh- cut over to see a man twirling a re- rebel logo coin. It's a little gold coin with the rebel firebird on. He's like, I got your work. And we go and meet Toro Calican, who's sitting in Han Solo's booth with his feet up just like Han sat again in A New Hope. Toro pulls out a bounty tracker and asks Mandalorian to help him out, tells him it's an easy bounty somewhere out on the Dune Sea, and Mando's like, all right, that's cool. Have fun. I'm not doing, I'm not helping you. The bounty's for a mercenary named Finnick Shand. The Mandalorian is not really feeling that Toro is up for the job because if he was a real bounty hunter, he would know that Finnick Shand is a top mercenary that's been working for all the different underground organizations, including the Huts. And if you go after a Finnick, well, if you can even take her down, you're going to be in a rough spot afterwards. But Toro's like, hey, look, I need to get in the guild. I'm not a full member yet. I need to do this bounty to get in. I'll give you all the credits for the job. I just want the reputation. So the Mandalorian's like, all right, that's fine. He needs the money anyways. So he tells Toro to meet him at the hangar with some speeder bikes. The Mandalorian goes back to the Razor Crest and finds Baby Yoda missing. There's really no good solution. He takes Baby Yoda with him. He gets in trouble. He leaves Baby Yoda back at the ship. Baby Yoda goes missing. There's really no great solution for it, but the dock attendant has taken it and is, you know, not taken, taken as in kidnapped, but is watching it. They check in and she's like, dude, you can't just leave a baby anywhere. That's not how this works. But he heads out. They hop on the speeder bikes and they head out across the Dune Sea. And we eventually stop at the edge of a Tusken Raider territory out in the desert. So they stop and uh, he asks Toro to look out and see tell him what he sees he pulls out some binox and sees the tuscan raiders on some banthas tell him he's like toro he's you know he's green but he's very cocky in himself he's like they better stay away from us he's like you should tell them yourself and they turn he turns around and there's some tuscan raiders just sitting right next to him and this is interesting so you know the tuscans give off their typical grunt yell thing and then the mandalorian starts talking to them in a form of sign language so you know we found out now that apparently tuscan raiders can communicate that way they don't commute well they might communicate with themselves verbally but they have a form of sign language that they can use with other people and I'm pretty sure this is the first appearance of sign language or a form of sign language in the Star Wars universe. So that's really cool to see that kind of representation here. But they negotiate to get passage and he gives him Toro's Binox. So they take off once again and they get to a certain point where Mando takes them all off the bikes and they find a dewback dragging a dead rider across the dune sea. Mando goes out to see what's going on and it's just another dead bounty hunter being dragged along. And that's when he gets shot from behind by a sniper. He's retreating back over the ridge. We find out that Fennec Shand has camped herself out and has them pinned down. So what can they do but wait her out? So they go and wait out for nightfall. Toro's wondering if this plan's gonna work, but Mandalorian's like, look, she's not going anywhere. She has the high ground. Gotta shout out that meme. And uh, she's gonna stay right where she is. So you watch her, and we'll wait till sundown. So sun sets, and he goes to wake up Mandalorian. And he's, Mandalorian's not moving for a while, so he's like being a dork and like pretending to shoot him. And Mandalorian's like, are you done? 
He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm done. So they head out, and the plan is to charge her with the speeder bikes, and they're going to alternate shooting flash charges into the air to blind her scope. So that's working for a while, but she eventually shoots down Mandalorian speeder. And of course, you know, the Beskar protects him, protect him earlier when he was getting shot. But she seems to have some attachment on her scope that's a lot, that allows her to zoom in to the gaps in his armor. So she's starting to focus in there when Toro comes up behind her and they start fighting. Of course, he's a scrub and is going to get wrecked when the Mandalorian rolls in and saves Toro. You scratch my back, I scratch yours, and we are all good. So the Mandalorian throws some cuffs at her and tells her to cuff herself. And she tells him that it's been a while since she's seen a Mandalorian in person and asks him if he's ever been to Navarro and told him that she heard it didn't really go very well. And if you don't remember, Navarro is the planet we started out on in the series. Not the ice planet, but this is where Grief Karga is and the client where it was. And this is where, you know, all that went down with the bounty hunters and the Mandalorians. So she kind of knows what he's about. But they're about to, they're going to try and head back to turn her in and get back to Mos Eisley. So since they only have three people and one speeder, they need to go get some more transportation. So Mandalorian tells Toro to go get the dude back we saw earlier. And he's like, dude, I'm not leaving you here with my bounty and my speeder. And in a pretty uncharacteristic move from the Mandalorian, he just kind of backs down and goes to get it. I mean, he's pretty much taken nothing, no crap from no one since the start of the series. So to allow himself to kind of just be pushed by this really green bounty hunter is a little surprising. But at this point, I figure he's just like, I'm almost done. Let's just get this over with. So he takes the easy, non-confrontational route. But while he's gone, Finnick is kind of trying to talk her way out of the situation. She tries to bribe Toro, saying that her uh, people can pay him far more than the bounty, and then tries to goad his ego by saying, hey, you know, the Mandalorians cross the guild, and if you turn him in, they will welcome you in with open arms. He considers her offer, and she says she'd help him take him down, but then she he goes up and just shoots her right in the stomach, saying that if I allowed you out of these cuffs, you'd kill me. So I have, you know, when we introduce this character, we're led to believe he's kind of, yeah, just a scrub, but, you know, you always got the kind of back of your mind feeling that he's going to be a little, he's going to be hustling us a little bit and at least be somewhat more competent than he appears. So at this point, the Mandalorian returns with his do-back. He finds Fennec dead, left all by herself in the middle of the desert, so he knows something's afoot and heads back to the docking bay. There, of course, he finds Tora waiting for him. He's on the Razor Crest walking off with Baby Yoda in one arm and a gun pointed at the dock hand in the other. He tells the dock hand to go cuff the Mandalorian while he starts giving off his typical villain monologue. But while this is going on, the Mandalorian shoots a flash charge in the air. It blinds Toro, and Mandalorian comes around the flank and kills him. We're given a little fake out where Baby Yoda is potentially in danger, but yet again, he escapes unharmed. Who knows, next time he's threatened if we'll have to use his force powers, but for now, the Mandalorian saves him all on his own. He gives the dock worker all the credits that Toro had on him, and they settle their debts, and he heads off to fly on to the next planet. The dock workers then tell the pit droids to go dump his body in the Beggar's Canyon. So, you know, if Luke's ever flying his land speed around again, maybe he'll spot that. But then right at the end of the episode, someone walks up to the body of Fennec, and it cuts there. That's the end of the episode, and we're left wondering whose boots we just saw on the ground. I've seen a lot of different fan theories on who it could be. Some people going as far as to say it's Boba Fett. I think probably the most likely option is Moff Gideon, who is uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character. Um, so Gus from Breaking Bad, that actor, he is 
playing a Imperial Moff at some point. So I think it's probably most likely him. If not, it also still could be Grief Karga since we know he's around. Overall, I think both episodes were pretty good. The first one, a great homage to the Seven Samurai slash Magnificent Seven theme and trope. And the second episode, a really cool love letter, I feel like, written to A New Hope. We're closing in on the end of the season. We're over halfway done at this point, so we'll see what the rest look like again. I mentioned it earlier, but just a reminder, I'll be doing a special episode on Saturday after The Rise of Skywalker comes out, so two days after the premiere, we'll have an episode out, and then we will also have a the regular Monday episode to talk about The Mandalorian. If you like what you've heard here, please feel free to check me out on Twitter and Instagram, at SpicedenPod. We can go over there and continue the conversation, and feel free to ask me any questions or what my opinions are on any form of Star Wars media. I'm always happy to talk with anyone, and I got plenty of time to do it. And if you liked what you're hearing, again, you can also follow the podcast on Spotify, Google Play, or iTunes. Thanks again, as always, to Graham Bull for providing our music. And everyone, thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.